Yeah, no, I completely forgot to record that. Oh, and I forgot to stop the Zoom recording. So it's all been recording this entire conversation. Um, <laughs> That's all good. Yeah, so I'll just, sorry. we'll just go ahead and talk about it. And I'll put a little bit of maybe that last sentence or so in the cold open, you know, because we're going to try and, you know, be more intelligent about shit, even though I'm terrible at it. But... Um, we wanted to announce to everyone, all of our listeners, all of our followers, that we have partnered up with Millions to uh, to help get the word out about us to a lot of other people. What they do is they partner with athletes, gyms, other podcasts. We are only their second college football podcast as they're trying to build that framework out. Um, so we're really excited to do that. We're going to get some merch going soon. Um, we're gonna do some live streams during games, uh, do like a watch party situation where I, you know, maybe even for some of these games, me and Mike get together and do a live stream and, you know, commentate the game better than Gary could ever dream of, um, try to pronounce the names correctly at least. No, I can, I can mispronounce the shit out of all these names. Let's go. Oh, perfect. It'll be just like CBS. We'll even, we'll do some knockoff music. I don't think that was CBS, but it will go with it. We'll go with it. No, it's a, it's a knockoff one. It's the one that you get off the uh, the ice cream truck when you're buying bootleg movies. <laughs> back, way back in the day. Um, but yeah, no, we we really just wanted to uh, announce this partnership right off the top, and um, it, we're really excited to see where it goes. They're giving us a lot of opportunities, and. Uh, Awesome guys over at Millions. So go check out first off their website because I mean, even athletes like Nazir Stackhouse are on the website. A ton of guys mm-hmm. in the pros, Joe a Montana. lot of UFC fighters and uh, and boxers. If you mm-hmm. follow combat sports like I do, um, really exciting. Their brand is growing. We're growing as well. So we're really excited to uh, to announce this partnership. Yeah, just like you said though, like us being. You know, one of the first uh, college football shows or podcasts on there is super exciting to be at the forefront of that or something special that they're putting together. So we're we're definitely excited about the the opportunity and the uh, partnership that we have with millions. All right, guys, here's the show. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine and red and black. It's a mean machine and red and black. What's up, y'all? This is John, and Mike will be joining me in a minute, but we are here tonight to talk with Candler Cook about fall camp. Um, We are going to do a ton of realignment talk this episode, too, just because of how prevalent it is, and uh, Candler's got some phenomenal takes on that. But before we get into all of that, Candler, how was your weekend, and what are you, uh, I guess you're not drinking because you're currently driving. I am in a car, yes. I've got a LaCroix. Uh, weekend was great. I mean, it's an exciting time. Not that many more Saturdays until we've got some college football to watch. Yes, and we always have, you know, some great uh, and the greatest 100% sarcasm in there. Uh, preseason games with the NFL going on. I mean, last week we got to watch Kellen Mond and Zach Wilson miss wide open passes for a few hours. <laughs> Yeah, NFL preseason is not uh, quite as great as the regular season, which 
still isn't as great as college football, but we're getting close. Yes, um, definitely, definitely getting close. Um, so let's go ahead and transition into the interview part. Mike will be joining us in just a second, but I do have like a transition and all that kind of stuff that I'm doing with video. So give me just a second. I've seen heaven without dying, met the devil without trying, and they both seem to want to talk to me. I've seen heaven without dying, met the devil without trying, and they both seem to want to talk to me. And uh, sorry, guys, if everything's a little clunky, we had a lot of technical issues yesterday. So we are actually doing this again on Tuesday night. Uh, so just want to go ahead and put that disclaimer in there. Um, so as we've already talked with Kantler multiple times, a lot of you guys know, but we do have some new listeners. So I just want to introduce the damn good dog that is Candler Cook. He, uh, I've been to games with him, great time, but he also wrote the book From Underdog to Bulldog. And if you want more about his story, go back to our first episode with Candler. That was this time about a year ago. Um, so I know we talked about it yesterday. That's pretty much the whole episode, but with it being August and, you know, like a hundred degrees outside, how much do you miss fall camp? You know, I, I do miss it. It was certainly hot. The uh, first day of my senior season, we actually got down to the first practice to only five defensive linemen that didn't pass out from heat exhaustion. So that part of it, not as fun. However, camp is really when I felt the closest to the team, when the team really bonds. You've got the season around the corner. Everyone's been putting in a lot of work. But camp's the time where there are just no restrictions on the, on the amount of time you can focus on football. So you're eating, sleeping, and breathing football. There's no class to worry about. Um, so in that sense, I, I definitely miss it. It was a, a fun time where you're really starting to transition from improving in general in the offseason to now becoming game ready. So kind of a caveat off of that, um, was there any actual game plan installation in the spring or was that all in the fall? I know it was a different coach at the time with Mark Rick being your coach, but was it was it all left to the few weeks in the fall or was there a little bit of that in the springtime as well? They would start installing our playbook in the spring. It, it would not be uh, tailored to any opponent at all but they would just start, you know, installing the playbook each offseason because you've got um, freshmen, you've got some guys that redshirted that probably didn't have any reps the year before that. Um, and so it, there was some install in the spring, but really any kind of situational planning or game planning for specific opponents doesn't start until right now. So let's uh let's get right into this realignment talk because it has been absolutely wild over the last couple of weeks really um i mean the pac-12 is essentially dead right like there there's no there's no lazarus effect that can be had for the pac-12 at this point right i don't see a way back i think the conference is going to be extinct within 
the next week or two. Obviously, they'll play out this season. It'll be the final Pac-12 championship, so whoever wins that should probably just keep that uh, trophy forever as a replica. But, yes, with the ACC now um, pursuing Cal and Stanford, that would leave only Oregon State and Washington State left. And um, as you and I joked about, the Pac-12 may have to rebrand as Tupac while they're down to <laughs> two teams. You know, and I actually saw something interesting about this today. I, I don't remember which site reported it, but um, there is allegedly a conversation that was had between the Pac-12 commissioner and the Big 12 commissioner where the Pac-12 requested to join the Big 12, essentially, and they said, but leave out Oregon State and Washington State. That is interesting. Um, I need to learn more about that, but that sounds like another chapter that should be added to the book, How Not to Communicate, that the Pac-12 commissioner um, should probably go on to write. I mean, just a, a terrible job. Um, obviously, he made sure that they did not sign a TV deal and just communicated a lot of uncertainty to all schools, um, a lot of causes for concern financially, and he did absolutely nothing to assuage that. And so, um, leadership starts from the top, and he he really failed. And um, you know the the ashes of that conference will be on his hands forever. But um, I don't think it's all bad. I actually am a fan of this. I think four conferences was always the best fit. Whether it's fourteen playoff or now twelve teams, four is the right amount of conferences um, because the conference champions were always um, going to be able to get those top four seeds. So to me, it just fits much nicer to have four conferences and it makes teams play each other more often. You're going to get more matchups between some of these old Pac-12 teams that are now facing teams in the Big 12 or in the Big 10 where they'll be more battle tested. Um, the Pac-12, a lot of the times, it really heating itself up and, and missed the playoffs. Uh, they've only put a team in the playoffs twice. Um, but now there's going to be a lot more um, competition. And I think that's a win for everybody. At the end of the day, I want, and I would think the majority of people want the playoff to be decided on the field, the, the playoff participants, I mean, to be decided on the field and not by 12 people in a room trying to rank teams that have nothing in common and no common opponents. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I do, you know, I've said it on the show before. I am still not a fan of the playoff format they went with. Personally, I think, I think there were better options, especially considering that um, – if you win your conference, you do not have the opportunity for a uh, a home okay. playoff game. I feel like that. I feel like that was a big miss. I almost think home playoff games should be a reward and not a hey, you probably lost your conference, but you get an extra home game that's going to be a good one and sell out and have a phenomenal atmosphere. Like I, I, I truly think that was a miss. Um, and I'm, I've been on record multiple times saying that after this season, I truly do not care if Georgia wins another SEC championship because I want to go to a home playoff game. Right. Well, it, it's interesting. So obviously Georgia's 2021 team would have had a home playoff game because they would have been a fifth seed because they'd be ineligible for a buy since they did not win the SEC that year. Um, so that is interesting. I know – that obviously they had to find a way to fit in those major bowl games. So now you'll have all six major bowls are played every single year as part of the playoff process, which is interesting. Last year's Penn State-Utah game was the final ever um, 
uh, Rose Bowl, or it was guaranteed to be Big Ten versus Pac-12. That will never happen again unless it happens out of sheer luck in the playoff, but obviously that won't be scheduled in advance. So there are a lot of changes going on. I think it's positive. I think it allows teams that were on the cusp that were maybe ranked, you know, five through eight at the end of the season, but are very dangerous a chance. Um, there will be less if, ands, or buts because it'll be proven out on the field and it gives more underdogs a chance. Um, some of those UCF teams that were ranked a little higher, they might've been in a 12 team playoff. And so it, to me, it, I think it's good to add more teams to the playoff. I, I don't think it needs to grow a ton more than 12 um, because I think it should still be prestigious to get a playoff spot, but everything will really be settled on the field now. So I, I think it's a big win overall. Um, there are a lot of factors, like you mentioned. I know money was a huge part of it, and that's why those bowls have to be the later rounds of the playoffs and the home games can only be the first round. But um, I think it'll still be an improved system versus what we have now. Yeah, to, um, I was I was thinking about it while you were talking about it there. The, pack, um, the Rose Bowl will never be the same again unless this year a Pac-12 team gets in the playoff because after this season, there is no more Pac-12, you know. So the Rose Bowl in all of its glory is effectively dead in the way that it has been for a hundred plus years. That's right. And we do have Mike with us. Um, sorry guys. Like I said, we had technical difficulties that yesterday doing it a little bit earlier today. So uh, it's all a, you know, whenever we all kind of got home from work and Candler's not even home from work yet, but we're making it work, trying to get, trying to get this stuff out to you guys as uh, expeditiously as possible. Ooh, um, that's a good word. Nice word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, um, my almost college degree really came in handy there. I only know that word because of TI's <laughs> uh, podcast. It's, the way he says expeditiously, expeditiously gets me going. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, to kind of to wrap that up, um, we were really just talking about the Pac-12 expansion, or sorry, uh, the other conferences expanding, the Pac-12's demise. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to keep an eye on, does the SEC move to 18 teams? Does Florida State find a way out of their grant of rights agreement to um, leave the ACC? And if so, does Clemson or North Carolina follow them? There could be other schools interested in doing that as well. And also, does this eventually lead from four conferences to three super conferences? I kind of like four conferences. Um, I don't know if we need to go any smaller than that. I, I personally would love if the SEC absorbed the ACC with the exception of Miami. Just, just for the purpose of the Big Ten taking Miami and having an Oregon – Miami game where it is the longest cross country flight for a Saturday game. Hell, even Washington, Oregon or Washington, Miami. Yeah, like that's that's what I'm here for, you know. Mm -hmm. And to spite Miami fans, because after uh, essentially two decades of mediocrity, they still have some of the most attitude. Yeah, if I if <laughs> yeah, I had a choice, in the, sorry. Can we even go ahead? Yes, that'll create a lot of wacky conference matchups, some that we're not used to. Um, some of this realignment will bring back rivalries that, that weren't played as frequently, though. I'm looking forward to some of these Texas-LSU, Texas-Arkansas games. Um, and I, I'm actually looking forward to um, 
some of the teams that are joining the Big Ten playing each other more often. Like I think um, Southern Cal, Ohio State could be a fun rivalry. And really, USC and Oregon don't play that often at the moment, but I would love to see that become an annual rivalry. Oregon-Ohio State was a great game a few years ago, and now we get to see that more frequently. I mean, it's if as far as the viewership of college football goes, is the people that don't play it don't have to do this travel. There's no downside. No, it really is a better fan experience. It'll create more exciting games. Um, so I, I think it is a big win overall. One thing uh, I'll I'll add to that real quick before we move on is you know a few years you know back when Nebraska joined the Big Ten that one of the big you know things for you know me you know growing up as a Michigan fan is like seeing like that matchup all the time or we're all thinking well while it is nice it's kind of lost its lost its luster after what I think it's been what twelve or thirteen years since they've joined the Big Ten so I mean it, it while it's still special it's not you know as intriguing it's not like as can't miss tv as it was probably when they joined so it was a little bit but just like you guys uh like you guys said uh seeing these matchups more regularly you're still going to be better than not seeing them you know not often at all like we like we do now like like you said ohio state oregon usc michigan they haven't played since the rose bowl in 2004 i believe so it's been almost 20 years since they've played against each other and, you know, one thing I want to add to that that I just saw today, um, obviously there's nothing official on this, but um, Ryan Day and uh, I'm not sure if it was Harbaugh or an assistant from Michigan, both brought up that they want to discuss the, um, the viability of moving the game to earlier in the season because they now realize that there's going to be a chance that that game is played in back-to-back weeks with the schedule as it currently is, as everyone moves away from the divisions model. So um, just letting the top two teams play each other for the championship. So I think that'll be interesting. Does that become maybe one of those mid to late season rivalry weeks, the same week that um, Alabama and LSU usually play? They're usually a handful of good rivalry matchups around the country that week. Um, Now that's Georgia Tennessee week as well. So I'm interested to see, do we see some more movement like that, even if it is breaking from tradition, uh, just so that you don't have, back-to-back um, weeks with the exact same matchup. To my knowledge, that's only happened once in Power 5 history. There was one um, Pac-12 season where there was a, a rematch um, the last week of the season and then again in the Pac-12 championship. I will say about the about the Michigan-Ohio State thing. So I know Ryan Day mentioned that at, at, uh, at Media Days a few weeks ago, but I think Jim Harbaugh kind of doubled down and like this needs to be the last week of the season. Um, back when the Big Ten actually introduced – their divisions the leaders and legends because who could forget um they you know that was the thing is they split up michigan and ohio state and i mean michigan was the one that didn't hold up their end of the bargain there like that was the whole rich rod and brady hoke era um there but um i know michigan is steadfast on keeping that keeping the game as the the final regular season game but i mean would i mind seeing it moved a little bit just for the sake of not playing it back to back or risk having it be um like a lame duck type situation we're like yeah we're both in the big 10 championship this is more or less going to be a scrimmage and, and who cares like i i do want to keep the uh allure um over the game so if it means moving it that's fine but i think right our ball was pretty you know steadfast on keeping it at the end there but 
I think he blamed Ryan Day, not blame Ryan Day, but brought up the fact that, well, you know, you guys lost twice in a row. Of course you want to move it, like type type deal. But So who know, wins the argument here, Auburn or – I mean, I, Ohio State or Michigan? Because Auburn did the same thing a few years ago. They just happened to win, and then they fired their coach that complained about it for years. So, you know, cross our fingers. Maybe Ryan Day is out of the out of the public picture here soon. I'm tired of listening to. No, him. no, I want to keep him there. Like he fucking keeps losing. It's okay. I'm not worried about him. <laughs> I ain't worried about it. I. Yeah. No. Well, he hasn't won the games that matter as much. But no, I mean his. His winning record or his winning percentage as a first-time head coach is is probably higher than just about anyone in history through this many seasons. But there, you know, there's a couple games that the Buckeyes care more than anything about, and those are the ones he's not won. And so, um, no, I think they're going to have to move it. it. Honestly, I think they will push for a while to not do time that it actually happens that the two of them have a rematch the very next week, and it does lose some of that luster. Or if they, like last year, I actually went to the game in person. That was my first time um, at Ohio State's campus. And last year, they would have known going into that game, no matter what, you have a rematch against each other the next week, let alone in a 12-team playoff. You already know you're both in the playoff. To me, that would start to lose some of the luster. What if a situation arose like last year where they're both undefeated? You know they're both playing for the conference title, so they play in back-to-back weeks. What if the seeding worked out that they played each other again in the playoffs? Ooh, three I feel, like, I feel like they would really just do essentially what they did last year. And, you know, as much as it does suck that the committee and all of its uh, intelligence is the, is the word I'm going to choose there decides, you know, oh, we don't want to rematch here. We're going to do this. I mean, they did the same thing with the 2021 playoffs as they did the 2022 playoffs, um, avoiding a Georgia-Alabama rematch, and then they avoided the uh, Michigan-Ohio State rematch last year. So I doubt it'll ever come where they play in three back-to-back games unless the seeding is just, you know, inarguable. Um, but the committee has has – you know, made statements to fit the agenda they wanted before. So it wouldn't surprise me. Exactly. And technically the playoff committee's rules are that they can have no regard for rematches. However, I don't think like you, I don't think that's the way that it actually works out. Now, 2021, I have no qualms with that year. um, Because I think that Georgia and Bama would have been on separate sides of the bracket, no matter who was looking at it. I really don't know anyone that was, pushing to put Cincinnati above Georgia. Um, But last year, I mean, Michigan should have been the two seed and Ohio State should have been the three seed. And I I totally get why they didn't want to set those two up for a rematch. Um, You know, I I think when they planned that, they kind of assumed that Michigan would beat TCU and that either way you would have one of the greatest national championship rematches because you'd either have a fun rematch of Georgia-Michigan from the playoff the year before or, you know, the biggest game in the history of Ohio State-Michigan, which is obviously an incredible rivalry. So um, I think last year they did do some gamesmanship with the seeding. And I, I think it won't matter as much in a 12-team playoff because you don't even know who the teams are that are going to be in the core finals yet because you have to play the first round. You don't know who's going to be in the semifinals. So it'll take care of itself more on the field. But because of that, I could see it potentially happening if they're in the same half of the bracket. All right, y'all ready to move on to uh, on to some fall camp position battles? Let's do it. Let's go. 
All right, guys. So fall camp started last Wednesday. And as we typically do on the show, we're going to start with the offense and we're going to start up front. So the interior of the offensive line is is set. I mean, you've got Cedric Van Pran, arguably the best center returning in college football this year, probably would have been second round pick this past year at latest. Um, but in the draft last year, both Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon were taken so Amarius Mims is the presumptive starter at left tackle, and it's really only one bat, one position up for grabs this season between redshirt freshman Ernest Green, junior Austin Blasky, and potentially true freshman Monroe Freeling for that right tackle spot. What what are kind of your thoughts on this battle, Candler? I think it's going to be an interesting one. I think this one will will change during the season. I think initially Austin Blasky will be the starter, and I think Ernest Green takes over by about mid-year as he continues to get some more game experience, given that he's only a redshirt freshman. Yes. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I definitely think it's an interesting battle. I agree with you there because – Georgia is, in, you know, in the last, what, four seasons, maybe even five, the starting five that started the season hasn't always finished the season. I mean, last year they put Amarius Mims in at tackle without there being an injury. Um, what was it, 2017, Ben Cleveland took over for one of the guard spots during that deep run. I, I think it's one of those – I think it's going to be another one of those situations where – as the season goes on, the the best five changes, and I think it could potentially change a couple of times. I agree with you, and I have seen that some firsthand with Stacey Searles, who was the O-line coach at Georgia uh, when I was on the team. Um, obviously, I was defensive line, but still I got to know him well um, and the things that he looks for, and he really wants the best guys on the field. And sometimes that means someone's a little tired, and for the next – two drives they're not the best guy to have on the field Uh, but I think he's an excellent recruiter he's big on getting massive offensive linemen he wants us to just have a a fortress there and I think he's done a great job building it and it'll be an interesting battle to see if uh, Georgia or Michigan wins the uh, Moorhead award for the best O-line in the country this year Um, and and I think Georgia's got a great shot to do that with the guys they have. Well, the Joe Moore Award is headquartered in Ann Arbor. So if Michigan has a top 20 offensive line, they're going to win the award. It just kind of is what it is there. Mm -hmm. Well, their running backs make the O-line look great there too because Michigan's got probably two of the top five or if not two of the top ten backs in America. So Mm -hmm. one of those helps the other and vice versa. One of the things that um, Scholes – not Scholes, I'm sorry. The offensive line coach uh, – has done at least with like this uh 2024 recruiting class i think the average size is like what like six 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 seven like it's ridiculous like it's it is a wall it's a literal wall so you're it's def- a good thing all of the quarterbacks now are tall because i yeah. i truly think stetson you know as much as we love stetson if his center was six foot seven it would be really hard for him to throw the football yeah <laughs> it would be I agree. So, yeah, I think you'd like a quarterback to be, you know, 6'3 or taller behind an O-line like that. I mean, you know the O-line's not going to be standing completely vertical at their tallest, but still you want a guy that can see over that. So I think it'll be interesting, but I I think it's something that 
really helps because you look at a lot of the D linemen, some of these speed rush guys on the outside, the way you wear them down, a lot of these 260-pound guys, is by some 340-pound monster just pushing on them in the running game again and again. Um, and so I think Georgia has the guys to do that. I think we will rotate, and I think we're in for having either the number one or number two best O-line in the country. Definitely. So, all right, so let's go ahead and move to tight end. So, obviously, Brock Bowers is going to be the Georgia starter this year, just like he had been the last two years. Uh, but they did lose Darnell Washington to the Steelers, and anyone that's been watching any kind of camp stuff has seen uh, George Pickens just make ridiculous catch after ridiculous catch in Pittsburgh, and then Darnell has just been cooking um, that secondary and whoever, whatever a linebacker they try to put on him there. But um, so who do you think will take Darnell's spot as the second tight end? So the battles between sophomore Oscar Delp, who put on 20 pounds this offseason, he went from uh, 225 to 245. And uh, true freshman Lawson Lucky, who looked really, really good at the uh, G-Day scrimmage. So who who takes most of Darnell's uh, snaps or is it going to be a combination of guys? I think it'll be Oscar Delp, and he's built closer to a Brock Bowers than a Darnell Washington. Um, I, I think he's a decent run blocker. I think he's a weapon on the outside, so I think he'll be the number two tight end. I, I really like him a lot as a player, very athletic. Um, I know he led the team in uh, receptions and yards in G-Day a little over a year ago, um, and I, I think we'll see him really become a weapon, and honestly, that should keep – Bowers open more often when you guys can't really just double team him or focus solely on him. That being said, Georgia is going to rotate. I wouldn't be surprised in short yardage situations if we just go ahead and put three tight ends out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's something that they did with great effectiveness against Michigan in that orange bowl a few years ago. I want to say that was the most 13 personnel that Georgia's done in a single game since Kirby took over. Um, and now you have I, – I think it's easy to argue that Lawson Lucky is a little more athletic than uh, Fitzpatrick was that year. So definitely something to look out for is that 13 personnel. So moving over to the wide receiver room, which is I think arguably the most talented that Georgia's had um, – Almost ever, I know yesterday we had talked about either the 2012 or 2013 room, but I think it's kind of neck and neck between the talent and these guys. Um, we have returners, Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemi Jack St., Arian Smith, along with two top 15 receivers from the SEC last season that transferred in, in Dominic Lovett and Brara Thomas. So who do you think wide receiver one is this season? You know, that that's interesting. I think that um, you're going to obviously have multiple guys on the field at all times at this position, unless, like you mentioned, it's goal line or short yardage. So I think that um, Vlad McConkey is going to put up the most yards of any receiver. I wouldn't be surprised to, to see Dominic Lovett right on his heels in terms of the amount of targets. Um, those two guys are going to be a great one-two punch. Ra-Ra Thomas is excellent and used to a very pass-happy offense. And then you've got other guys, Arian Smith. I mean, who can forget about him? I don't know if Georgia beats Ohio State if we don't have him to get that quick strike score. Rosemary Jackson's been um, very solid for the dogs for years uh, and obviously recovered from just a, a brutal injury back in uh, 2020 against Florida. 
So, you know, just an embarrassment of riches. I agree with you. This is by far the best receiving room that, that I've seen at least in the last decade and maybe even ever for Georgia, just in terms of the top level talent and how many guys there are. I remember um, being on teams with, you know, a guy like AJ Green, and we would have usually one or two other good receivers. We would never have six or seven top notch receivers at the same time where they're all dangerous. You sub them in and out. Um, and I'm sure Georgia's going to have some young guys that haven't had that many reps that will also show out this year. Man, if Arian Smith can stay healthy and be like a Deshaun Jackson type role, like watch out. I, mean, I know he's missed. I think he missed. I think he's only. No, it was only played already. I think he's only appeared at 29 or 22 of 39 games or something like that. So if he can stay out there, um, like watch out. And then, you know, I, we didn't even put him in here, but Jackson Meeks did a lot of good things last year. So did Dylan Bell. I mean, the question is to me is more going to be, how do you get all these guys on the field more than can they produce? Because they've all done it before. It doesn't seem like I agree with you. Okay, there we go. Sorry. It's funny. I like Georgia's running game a lot, but I love all the weapons we have in the passing game, including the tight ends a lot. So I think it's going to be a very versatile offense. Tough for the defense to key in on, you know, really anyone because there's so many weapons. So does any receiver this year hit that elusive 1,000 yards that has not been done since Terrence Edwards did it? My prediction is close, but no, because of how many weapons Georgia has. We're going to be substituting in and out a lot, and I just I don't think there are going to be enough reps or targets for one person to hit that. Hmm. All right, so uh, on the other side, and you mentioned the running back room a little bit ago, but the uh, running back room probably has most question marks of any other in any other time of the uh, Kirby Smart era, not because of talent or anything like that. Obviously, staff has done a great job amassing you no know, talent the last, I mean, the entire time they've been there and even going back before that. But most of that become comes because of injuries, especially in the spring. Um, like I said, most of the running back room was hurt or uh, hurt or injured in the spring. Uh, Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards uh, figured to get the most looks in the backfield this year. Uh, Branson Robinson, I think he just started practicing today, I think, um, with the running backs. and But he's slowly getting back uh, back to it. Andrew Paul missed all of last season with, a, with an injury. And um, George also welcomes in highly touted recruit Roger Robinson. Um, as well. And Cash Jones is in there too. We're the biggest Cash Jones podcast there is. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But with all that said, with uh, Kenny Mack just killing it as a seventh round pick in Seattle, who do you, th- who do you think uh, uh, takes on like the lead back role, like the guy, obviously they split it up, but who do you feel, see filling in the most for uh, Kenny Mack? Well, it's interesting. I think Dejon Edwards may get the most carries. I wouldn't be surprised if Kendall Milton ends up with the most um, yards per carry overall. Those two guys will get the lion's share of the reps. However, you can't keep these other guys off the field. Cash Jones, like you mentioned, is really coming on strong. Branson Robinson um, was just a beast in the national championship. And Roderick Robinson looks like he's coming on. So I wouldn't be surprised to see those last three names get a lot of reps in the second half when maybe the defense on the other team is getting a little tired and they come in with fresh legs and and just really pound on people. 
Mm-hmm. What, you know, Mike said it a minute ago, we are by far the biggest Cash Jones podcast there is out there. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, what do you think his role is in the office this year? Well, I would say I think it's a it's a reserve role. It's a guy who's ready to play if anyone gets injured, but it's also a finisher. Like I think of um, like a, a Brennan Douglas from back about a decade ago, how we'd bring him in fresh in the fourth quarter, and he was a strong, powerful runner. I could see that kind of being Cash Jones' role. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the quarterbacks because everybody knows we like to leave everybody hanging until the end of the offense, talk quarterbacks here. So after a very strong spring game, serving as number one backup last year, is there any reason to believe that Carson Beck is not the starter this season? I don't think there's any reason to not believe that. Kirby – has um, in the quarterback decisions, years where there's been a decision to make, he's really picked one guy and stuck with him. Um, and that's what I think he'll do. And so I don't think he'll rotate starters or anything, even though the first few opponents are not necessarily the strongest. I think that Carson Beck is going to be the guy. Um, I agree that he doesn't need to tell every opponent that, but I'm, I'm sure he's probably told the team by now. But um, that's my thought is that he'll be the guy. There will be a lot of reps out there, though, for Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandergrift to continue to improve. And who knows, maybe as soon as even one year from now, Carson Beck may be going to the NFL and we may need one of those guys to take over. Is there so, – go ahead, Mike. No, so you don't see like a, a Kirby pulling a hamburger, I mean, a Jim Harbaugh uh, situation, like going back and forth between starters, like start, start somebody for UT Martin and then somebody else for Ball State. You think it's just going to be straight up Carson Beck going forward? To be fair, though, Lane did the same thing last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think that's it. I think Carson Beck starts every single game for Georgia. And honestly, I can't remember a time where, like, even even going uh, after the spring game, I can't remember a time where pretty much all of the fan base is kind of united in in believing that, you know, one guy should be the quarterback. I mean, hell, even after the 2021 national championship, half the fan base wanted uh, Stetson to, you know, leave, transfer, go to the NFL at that point. So I I think we're all pretty much in the same boat there with uh, Carson. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and move over to the defense. And Jordan has some very big holes to fill at defensive tackle with – the loss over the last few years of Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, and now Jalen Carter, um, who was somehow passed over by, I'm pretty sure, everyone's favorite NFL team, with the exception of all the new Georgia fans that are now Philadelphia Bulldogs, I mean Eagles fans. Um, and then Georgia also lost Bear Alexander to Southern California, the real USC, after showing up in that national title game. They have a lot of experienced guys waiting to fill the shoes of Jalen Carter, but out of Nazir Stackhouse, Zion Lowe, Warren Brinson, friend of the show, Josh Jarrett, and Jordan Hall, who do you see making the biggest jump this season? I would say um, Nazir Stackhouse. Um, I was talking with the guy that I mentor who's on the team and 
mentioned that he mentioned Nazir has really become a leader and um, been more vocal than really the first guys to work out. Don't get me wrong, Georgia is going to need to play a lot of, of different guys like you mentioned, um, but I think Stackhouse will make the biggest jump in his final year as a Bulldog. Sorry. All right. So um, going on to the uh, linebacker room, room here. So with uh, Nolan Smith and Robert Beal off to the NFL, Georgia needs to replace uh, their production at outside linebacker. Uh, Chaz Chambliss played well at times and the different situations that he was put into. He was really a weapon there. Uh, Jalen Walker started the season on the inside last year and then moved out after Nolan Smith uh, tore his peck. Uh, Darius Smith and Marvin Jones Jr. also contributed um, at times last year as well with Jordan. Uh, and then freshman-wise and just new additions, Georgia also welcomes in a galaxy of four and five stars um, at that position. Damian Wilson, I'm mean, David Wilson, I should say, uh, Samuel Mpemba, Gabriel Harris, just to name a few. Um, so obviously, Georgia does a great job, job rotating guys on defense. But um, at that linebacker position, who do you see being like the guy um, at that spot or those spots? It, you know, I think there's really going to be three guys on the field most of the time, and that's Chad Chambliss, Jalen Walker, and then Marvin Jones Jr. Um, I like Darius Smith a lot. I think he'll see a lot of reps. I wouldn't be surprised if those four kind of rotate in and out. Those other young guys, like you mentioned, very, very talented, um, but I don't think there's room to give seven different guys reps at outside linebacker, at least not in close games, not in the first quarter. And so um, I think we're going to see a lot of those top four guys rotating in and out. Mm -hmm. So with Keely Ringo joining pretty much the entire 2021 defense up in Philadelphia, who takes his spot opposite of Kamari Lasseter? Is it Nylon Green or is it one of the other guys that's uh, nipping at the heels there? I think it's Nylon Green on the outside. Um, I'm sure they'll rotate some, but to me, I, I think he is getting pretty close to locking down that spot. And I think one of the things I saw today, and I, I didn't necessarily read it, I just kind of saw it come up on my phone, is that Lasseter did not practice today. He had some undisclosed injury um, or an injury that they didn't want to say he didn't practice at all today. So hopefully that's nothing serious uh, going forward. But, you know, fingers crossed. All right. Um, so uh, last uh, last uh, question that we have an outline is uh, with Malachi Starks, he's already getting all American hype uh, at safety. So, of course, he's going to be, you know, playing that center field uh, spot for them way, way, way in the backfield or not backfield, but in the back. Uh, Christopher Nightmare Smith was drafted by the Raiders back in April. So with all that said, who's going to fill the hole left by Chris Smith? Um, yeah, it could be Dirty Dan Jackson, who should be back at 100%. I think he started practicing this week. Um, Jonel Aguero uh, was one of Georgia's most high-profile recruits in 2023. And there's some, there's several other guys that played uh, um, a decent amount of uh, snaps last season as well. So uh, besides Malachi Starks, who do you see playing a lot um, beside him? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. So obviously, Starks and Bullard have really locked up um, starting spots. You know, I could see Tyke Smith 
um, being a guy that takes that over. And him, he, like Javon Bullard, has a lot of experience playing nickel, but a lot of experience playing safety as well. So they're, they're both versatile and can shut down a slot guy and can play deep. So I kind of like him to be the starter. Um, but Dan Jackson will see a lot of playing time on defense as well as special teams where he's already really proven himself. So for this upcoming season, kind of caveat off of that, with it being so difficult to get either Javon Bullard or Tyke Jackson off the field, do you almost see those two guys essentially playing the same role in the defense as almost like a hybrid nickel slash safety, and it's really just dependent on the play that's called at that point? Absolutely. I could even see them both being on the field with Malachi Starks playing center field, um, which we all saw the Oregon game. He does beautifully. I could see having Bullard and Tyke Smith on the field kind of shouldering him. And then as they decide the strength of the defense or of the offense or the offense motions, one of them rolls down into the box, ready to either cover a receiver or play a shorter zone. And the other one backs up to eight to 10 yards to play deep. I think both those guys are so great at that role. And they do it differently. Tyke is more of a, a speedster, and Javon Bowler is more of an enforcer. So I know you said you were a little limited on time today. Do you have a minute to talk schedule next year, or do we need to uh, hold that till the next time you join us? I've got time, yes. Okay. Um, 2024 schedule, I know a lot of Georgia fans are a little upset with it. I would say myself included just because I feel like playing at Bama back to back um, is, is a little ridiculous, but I'm, I'm very interested to hear your take on Georgia's 2024 draw. Well, I'm, I'm excited because it is so much better of a schedule than this year's is. Um, however, like you mentioned, so, some of them aren't exactly rotating through. I know it's a one-year bridge schedule, but yes, I, um, it's interesting that Bama gets to skip a return trip to Athens. Um, I, I thought it was interesting South Carolina's off the schedule. I guess the SEC tipped their hand that that's probably not going to be an ongoing rivalry. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting. I know they were trying for competitive balance while balancing out playing teams from um, both sides, you know, the former divisions. So I think they did a decent job. There, there were going to be some short ends of the stick, but I think the game Georgia at Alabama will be really big. Um, there will probably be a lot of pressure on Alabama and Georgia because Bama will either get back to their standard this year or they're going to have another rebuilding season in a row. And so there are going to be storylines galore for that game. Um, and then I think Georgia at Texas will be a really fun one. I personally would love if we're SEC game number one for Texas to welcome them properly to the SEC. And we, I know we talked about it yesterday, but uh, you and I are definitely meeting up on 6th Street the Friday before that game because I know I'm going, you said you're going, so we, we got to make it happen. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like that. I've heard a lot of great things about Austin. I've been to other cities in Texas, but never Austin, so I'm excited. I said it, I've said it many times on the show. Austin is one of, I would say it's one of my top five favorite cities in America. I've been twice in the last year. If, wow. if, uh, if F1 tickets didn't go up ridiculous in price, I'd be going back here in October. I, I love Austin. 
That's great. Well, that's high praise, and I'm excited to visit there. And Texas fans uh, create a great atmosphere, and um, so I think that'll be a, a really exciting step. Um, and getting to play them is great because we had home and homes against Oklahoma and Texas that had to be canceled because they're joining the conference. So I'm glad to have the opportunity to do that early on. What uh, what games are you going to in 2023? I am going to uh, the opener against UT Martin. I'm going to the UAB game. I'm going to um, Kentucky and Missouri. Then I'll go to the neutral game against Florida. And I'm not sure yet if I will go to the game at Tennessee. I had a few friends back out on that one. But those are the ones that I've circled. And then obviously if we make it SEC championship in the playoffs. Awesome. Well, I am trying to convince Mike to come up to some games with me this year. And uh, and if if he does, we'll definitely all three need to get together. But I am I know we talked about it last year, getting together a lot on campus, but we're going to make it happen this year. And uh, and is there anything else that you'd like to cover today? That was really it. I mean, it's such an exciting time in college football, um, really just the mile a minute changes um and i think it's an exciting time to be a fan this is the last year of college football as we know it with all of the divisions uh, with the five power conferences and then next year will be exciting because it'll be the first year of this new era of college football where there are 12 teams in the playoffs so uh, some nine and three teams that maybe only went one and three against ranked opponents will get a chance to play for it all so i, I think it's an exciting time to be a fan mm-hmm. Mike, is there anything else? Any other questions you have? I don't, but when you when you brought up going to uh, Ohio State, so there's a chance that I I will be able to actually go to the Michigan Ohio State game in Ann Arbor this year. My brother has season tickets. His uh, his wife is going to be out of town, so there's a possibility um, that I can make it up there. Just kind of depending on how much flights are for you know Thanksgiving week. But um, as far as like games in uh, Athens, my goal is to try to at least get to UT Martin because I want to go to a night game. I, have not I think that'd be great. Yes. And if you get the chance, you definitely go to Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, that rivalry is so storied and just about at an all time high in terms of its crescendo at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I was in for just a different kind of rivalry than I had ever seen before in person when I was uh, with my friend Brian and we were starting to set up the tailgate for Ohio State, Michigan um, in Columbus last fall. And it was about five in the morning. So the sun's not even up yet. The parking lot was full. And there was a sorority house that was putting out a banner that said, I would rather shower at Penn State than root for Michigan. And so that was a (laughs) a bit of a different atmosphere than I think I've ever seen in a game. So I say that to say I can only imagine how loud and intense it'll be in Ann Arbor this year. Did you when you went there, did you wear your Georgia stuff or did you go neutral? No, I wore Ohio State stuff that day. Oh, um, no. If it had been a big game for Georgia, I would have uh, worn Georgia stuff. But I was with my buddy, Brian, who's been super nice. And actually, when I had several Georgia uh, fan buddies that bailed on me for Clemson, he went with me to Georgia Clemson and threw on a Georgia shirt. We were in there town for that game. So mm-hmm. um, if, if it had been the day of a Georgia-Florida game or something, then, then I'm sure I would have wanted to have our colors on. But Georgia and Georgia Tech is not made like Ohio State, Michigan. <laughs> I'll no. tell you that. You know, until you said that Clemson part, I I was gonna say I don't know if we can be friends anymore. We're wearing Ohio State gear, 
but it's returning a favor when he went with you to a hostile environment. So that's mm. that that's the right thing to do. And not uh, not only that, when he heard that people had bailed on me, his cousin has a house in Charlotte, and so he said, "Don't even worry about a hotel. I've got the place for us to stay." Oh. We went out on the lake that weekend. He he's a great friend, and it was fun to see that. And then he took me to a Browns game the next day, and I got to see the first and only time that they um, beat Tom Brady. So it was quite the <laughs> sports weekend, and that was that that was uh, about a day after I got back from the World Cup in Qatar. So it was quite a week. Oh hell yeah! Did you did you see any like eight year olds flipping anybody off when you were in Columbus? That's a kind of their state. Uh, state Thankfully word. not. I'm, that may have happened, but no, I didn't see that. But it was um, it was quite a sea of red, and it was funny. Most of the Michigan people there had Ohio State friends around them, so that nobody would mess with them. So it, it was Smart. just another level of intensity, and that that stadium was so loud. And then obviously towards the end of the fourth quarter, it was so quiet. It was just such a, a, a raucous atmosphere and, and a exciting day to be a part of. And at the time, nobody knew that the loser was guaranteed a playoff spot because Southern Cal was still in the running. So I think yeah. that actually gave it a little more juice. If they both knew going into it, Hey, we're both guaranteed a playoff spot. Not that that would make either team relax or anything, but I think it adds to the stakes when it, it seemingly was one of us is going home today at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Candler, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we close it out here? Well, I'd, I'd recommend everyone follows um, your podcast and listens in each week. You guys always have some insightful info and then head over to Amazon. If you haven't already and pick up a copy of from underdogs to bulldogs, kind of the, Perfect time to, to order that and um, give you some football content before the real games start. Yes, and whenever we meet up this season, I need to get you to sign my copy. I've actually got it here on the desk next to me. So this it can go up on the shelf with all the other stuff that's going to go up behind me here soon. <laughs> I'd be happy to. That sounds good. We'll definitely plan a game to meet up. All right, guys, going to go through the same stuff we always do. The Instagram is at nothing.finder.pod. Same with the threads, if that's still, if we're, I mean, hell, we might be the only people still on threads. Um, yeah, barren wasteland at this point, but yeah. Twitter slash X slash whatever it is, is at FinerPod. Facebook and YouTube, just search Nothing Finer Podcast. You'll find us there. So, Either or both, it, whoever wants to take it. As always, guys, remember there is nothing finer in the land than a drunk, obnoxious Georgia fan. Third and a mile. Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.